1: Okay. Fair warning: this episode does contain a couple of spoilers. We put a spoiler-free version on the ShowAboutScience.com, so if you prefer that version, click the link in the description. All right, on with the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Show About Science. This is your host, Nate. Today we're going to be interviewing somebody a little bit different. We're going to be interviewing author Alan Gratz about his newest book involving climate change and about his process for writing it. Stay tuned because it's going to be amazing. So normally I would ask my guests to introduce themselves, but I, I yeah, I am a huge fan. I've I don't want to say that I've read all of your books, but I've definitely read a lot of them. And so, would you mind if I introduced you?
2: I'd love it. Go for it.
1: All right, so this is Alan Gratz, critically acclaimed uh, historical fiction writer, and so he's written some books that you may or may not have heard of, like Refugee, Ground Zero, and today we're here to talk about his newest book, Two Degrees. That's right. And so, yeah, should we just jump right into it?
2: Yeah, thanks for the intro. I appreciate Mm -hmm. it. Thanks for having me on your podcast.
1: Yeah, it's a pleasure. Uh, so was there anything that I missed?
2: No, that's it. I, I've, I've written eighteen books now. This is number Ooh. eighteen. Two <laughs> degrees. Yeah.
1: So, what is Two Degrees all about?
2: Sure. So, Two Degrees is a story of four different kids in three different parts of North America, all of whom are trying to escape climate change disasters, either disasters that are caused by climate change or made worse by climate change. So you've got a girl named Akira who is trying to survive a mega fire in California along with her horse Dodger. You've got two boys named Owen and George who live in Churchill, Manitoba up in Canada who are trying to survive a polar bear that's come in off the melting sea ice to look for its next meal. And it thinks the boys are its next meal. And uh, it's also the story of A girl named Natalie, who lives in Miami, Florida, and is trying to survive a Category 5 hurricane along with her neighbor's dog. So I've got four different kids, three different places, two degrees of temperature rise, and one cause of it, and that's climate change. Two degrees of temperature rise, and one cause of it, and that's climate change. Climate change, climate change, climate
1: change. So... What compelled you to write this book?
2: You know, I was asked by a lot of kids to write the book. So after I started writing books about the Holocaust and writing books about the refugee crisis, you mentioned that mm-hmm. one, um, and about war, a lot of kids kind of saw me as, as a person to go to who was going to tackle big topics. I was doing school visits for years, and a lot of the kids were like, hey, will you write a book about 9-11? I was like, oh, okay, I hadn't thought about that, but sure. And I wrote a book called Ground Zero that was mm-hmm. about 9-11. And so then once I wrote that, a lot of kids were like, okay, cool. Now will you write one about climate change? And I was like, oh my gosh, climate change. Like that's a huge topic. Yeah. It takes place over a long period of time. And how do I, how do I bring that to life? It's a lot of science. Like, you're, you know, this is the show about science. How do I bring <laughs> that into a book that's entertaining? That's thrilling, you know, that, that's uh, edge of your seat page turner. But I had more and more kids ask me about it. And so I said, okay, I'm going to try it. I'm going to try and tackle writing a book about climate change.
1: And I really liked how you, like, you didn't just focus on, like, the global warming aspect. You had, like, wildfires, melting uh, ice caps. There were tropical storms that had significantly grown in severity. So how did you decide that those were the best things to focus on?
2: Yeah, you're right. There's so many things I could have done that are current effects of climate change. And in fact, when I set out to write this, I thought about putting the global in global warming. As Mm -hmm. as you mentioned, I thought about making the story take place all over the world. I thought about doing a story about wildfires outside of Sydney in Australia. I thought about doing what they call rain bombs, where storms just hover over a city and drop water. It's not like a hurricane. It's just tons of water that makes the flooding conditions. That, that happens a lot in like Mumbai, India. I thought about writing about there. I thought about writing about desertification, like where good arable soil turns into desert, right? Like, because it just converts from global soil to desert. That's happening a lot in Central Africa, like around Lake Chad, where that lake has dropped its water levels precipitously. And I thought about writing about Nigeria or Chad. I thought about writing about Honduras or Guatemala, where there's been a change in the temperature that's causing a new blight on a lot of their food crops and a lot of their money crops. And they don't have a way of to make a living. So they're leaving their country. They're moving up through Mexico. They're trying to get to the United States. So I had all these different things that I thought about writing about, those and more. At first, I had like 27 different things I wanted to write about, like 27 different characters. And my my editor was like, maybe you need fewer characters. And I'm like, sure, how many? And she's like, maybe, you know, like three or four. And so I was like, oh my gosh, but she was right. The more characters I had, the less time I'd have with each of them. Yeah. And then I also started to think about well, I've got two big things to present here. First of all, who my characters are and what their lives are like. And then also climate change, right? I've got like two big things to introduce. And I thought, well, maybe instead of introducing kids who live all around the world and having to introduce their culture and their place they live, which would be new to a lot of my readers, a lot of my North American readers. It's like, maybe I should zoom in on North America so that that's a touchstone. Like when you pick up the book, you're like, these kids are like me. They live in a place that's like where I live, right? Yeah. Even if you don't live in Miami or California or Churchill, like it's close to where you live. And so I thought if I could do that, then the only new thing in here is climate change. So I focused on stuff that I thought were real biggies, uh, fires, which are a big thing that's happening all over the world, especially to the West Coast, of the United States and Canada. I thought about focusing in on flooding and hurricanes because that's a huge biggie. And then I put polar bears in there because polar bears are awesome.
1: I mean, yes, and also very dangerous, (laughs) clearly. (laughs) They're also
2: very dangerous. That's correct.
1: Mm -hmm. And so I believe that in Miami, we actually at some point see a familiar face. Is that correct?
2: Yeah. So spoiler alert, if you haven't read the book... If you haven't read the book, this is a time to just skip ahead a few, you know, a, a little. Yeah, just
1: skip ahead a little.
2: Right. Hit that little 45-minute skipper that's on my, <laughs> at least on my podcast player.
1: Yeah. Uh, 45
2: seconds. 45 seconds, not 45 yeah. minutes. <laughs> um, so you don't want to skip the whole thing. So uh, if you're reading carefully, you will notice that there is a, um, a familiar face that shows up in Miami. Look, I was writing about modern-day Miami, and I realized I'd already written about a character who goes to Miami <laughs> in the book Refugee. And that it would just be a few years later, she'd be an adult. And so Isabel from Refugee makes a cameo appearance, um, having to survive on a boat all over again, which I thought was ironic. First, she comes to the United States on a raft trying to escape Cuba in Refugee. And then we see her again trying to survive a hurricane on a boat in Miami in the present day. Mm. Little Easter egg, (laughs) I hope, for my fans.
1: All right, so as of now, this broadcast is spoiler-free.
2: <laughs> good. That's right. We're done with the spoilers, so uh, yes. you can return to listening.
1: <laughs> so what is like the main thing that people or kids should take away from this book?
2: Yeah, it's a good question. I, I thought a lot about what I wanted my theme to be, what I wanted my message to be. Um, I hope that, first of all, young readers come away with an understanding of what climate change is and why we have to do something about it right now. The reason I focused on a contemporary story, the reason I didn't tell a story of the far future or tell a story about the past at the, the beginning of the industrial era, was I wanted to focus on how climate change is impacting human beings all over the world right now. Not some nebulous date in the future, so I wanted kids to understand, you know, for all my life, we've been talking about climate change as something that's down the road. Oh, in the future, it's going to get bad. It's going to get bad if we don't do something. Well, things have kind of gotten bad now. They're not as bad as they could be. That's a good thing. Mm-hmm. And they could get worse if we don't do anything now, but they're bad enough for a lot of people already. So I wanted to highlight that we're already dealing with climate change. That this is not something down the road. And The last thing I kind of wanted to leave young readers with is, is hope uh, that there is an opportunity to fix this. It's not too late. And I think human beings are amazing. I think we're creative. We're inventive. We're incredible Mm -hmm. problem solvers. And one of the things I talk about in my book allies that's about D-Day is how we came together as an international community to work together, to overcome this, this really big challenge to defeat Nazi Germany We've done stuff like this before. This is bigger. It's a worldwide thing, uh, the way that World War II wasn't. Uh, like This is even bigger than that. It's even harder to defeat than the Nazis, but we can do it. We've done it before. Uh, We have the ability to change this. And I like to say that if the bad news is that humans are causing climate change, the good news is that means we can be the ones who fix it. We have actually some control over it. So- I hope that it teaches kids about climate change, shows them what the world is like right now because of it, but also says we can beat this if we work together. We can beat this if we work together. If we work together. Work together.
1: So, do you have any like process for like coming up with ideas or topics for like science storytelling?
2: Yeah. So this was a tough one for me. So most of my stuff is a lot of my recent books have been historical fiction or Mm -hmm. contemporary, but with a historical angle on it. Like refugee has a story set in the present, but also the past and ground zero has a story set in the present, but also the past, at least the past for you. Mm 9-11 happened during my lifetime, but not during yours. Mm -hmm. So most of my stories have a historical angle and I was used to researching history. I know how to do that. I go to the library, I check out a lot of books, I bring them back here to my office and I sit and I read about a time and a place and a, and a culture, if it's a different culture than mine, and I take lots and lots of notes. For this one, because it was science related, that was a whole new ball of wax for me. Yeah. So I, I, I love science. I listen to science podcasts. I read science nonfiction, but I am not a scientist. I um, I wasn't trained as a scientist. And so all of the stuff that's in here, that's the climate change science part of it, I had to rely on climate scientists. So I read a lot of books. I read a lot of magazine articles and newspaper articles. I talked to actual climate scientists, especially some who work here in Asheville in my hometown. Um, I tried to gather as much information as possible. And the thing about it is, even though I write a lot of historical stuff, I'm not an expert on that stuff either. I don't have a PhD in World War II history. I wasn't in the Twin Towers on 9-11. I've never been to afghanistan or lived in afghanistan or fought in afghanistan anything like that so when i write a book about another time in another place i have to do research so when i had to do something about now and climate change's effects now i did research the same way i i tried to learn as much as i could from the experts so i found climate change experts
1: same process new topic
2: Right, exactly. You got it. So it was for me, I just had to say, okay, it's science now and and not history. And so the challenge here was that science, of course, can be exact at times, but when we're talking about climate change and a lot of forecasting about what will happen in the future, that's predictive, right? We use science to predict where we're going and we can measure where we've been and what's happened in the past, but there's always still an element of unpredictability to it, there's a margin for error in the future, and this is one of the ways that people who are against climate science, who, who deny climate science, will say, "Well, look, you can't tell me exactly what's going to happen, so it's not going to happen." It's like, well, that's not really the way it works.
1: Yeah, <laughs> we
2: make we make educated guesses about what's going to happen based on past performance and where we are now, right? And um, history is easier. In a way, because it's finite, it be- has a beginning and a middle and an end. If I'm researching D-Day, I know what exactly what time it started, I know what happened during it, and I know exactly when it ended, because it is a thing of the past, right? Mm-hmm. Climate change is a thing of the past, the present, and the future. And so when I was doing the research for it, I could tell you exactly what's happened in the past, and I can tell you what's going on right now. But for the future, uh, how much sea level rise will there be by 2100? Um, you know, how many degrees of temperature rise will we see in the next 50 years? It's hard to know.
1: And and it all depends, like, on us.
2: Yeah, it all de- exactly. It all depends on what we're doing. And, you know, the Paris Agreement in 2015 said that we've gone about one degree Celsius, which is about two degrees Fahrenheit of temperature rise since the beginning of the industrial era. And it warned that two degrees of Celsius temperature rise is our cap. Like we can't go any farther than that. And then later on, they even revised it down and said, we maybe need to stop at 1.5 degrees Celsius, right? So the governments of the world came together and they said, we've looked at it. We've looked at the science. We know we've got to stop it by this amount. But what are we doing about it? Many countries are not doing anything about it. We pulled out of the Paris Agreement for a short time. Now we're back in it. Yeah. But how are we going to make sure that we address this? How are the biggest polluters, the biggest uh, producers of greenhouse gases going to stop it? How are we going to reduce it and then reverse it? Yeah. That's on us. And so far, we haven't done a great job of that. So you're right. We're a factor in this. And are we going to get our act together and do something about it? Or are we going to stay producing the same stuff that we've done. So it's so tricky. So for me, it was one of the hardest books I've ever written because I had to, at some point say, this is what we know. And I'm going to put that in the book and I can't make guesses about the future. It's part of the reason I wrote about right now instead of the future. Yeah, um, I'll leave the future to the predictors, to the forecasters, and I'll just tell you about what's going on right now. And it's bad enough right now.
1: Well, Alan, it's been amazing talking with you. I'm a huge fan. And if others want to find out more about Two Degrees or any of your other books, where can they go?
2: Yeah, um, you can find me online at com, and I spell my name A-L-A-N-G-R-A-T-Z. So if you go there, I've got links to all the different places you can go to buy it from local independent bookshops to uh, online booksellers. So wherever fine books are sold, as they say.
1: Thank you for being on the show, Alan.
2: Nate, it was a pleasure. I, I love that you have a podcast about science. <laughs> uh, I hope more young people like you will study science and, and become scientists. Um, that's one of the ways that we're going to get out of this hole we've dug for ourselves.
1: Yeah, that's, that's the hope. <laughs> no
2: pressure, no pressure, but I'm, I'm, I'm counting on you to save my life. <laughs> <laughs>
1: There you have it, folks. The show about science is complete. Huge thank you to Alan Gratz for joining us today. Our theme song was, as always, written by Jeff, Dan, and Teresa Brooks. And, Dad, before you shut the recording off, one more clip. Uh,
2: That was awesome. Uh, uh, You had great questions, and and I really appreciate the the time on the podcast to talk about the new book.
1: Yeah, well, you had great answers.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, I try.